hard to talk about because they make us feel vulnerable, afraid, or ashamed. Tonight's show is part of a series on bad mother anxiety, the fear that I'm being a bad mother. My guest tonight is Ray Tibbetts. We're going to be speaking about intergenerational patterns of mothering. Ray is the blogger of Good Enough on the website RaisingMaine.com. This blog evolved out of her very successful Bad Mother Chronicles, which was a blog and a zine. She currently publishes The Wife of Bath, which is a zine for stories about people and places, located primarily in Bath. Ray is the mother of three boys and is a 13th generation Mainer from Midcoast. If that isn't enough, she's also writing a cookbook about traditional Maine recipes with commentary, kind of a locavore cookbook, as it's called. And in particular, she's in the process of writing a book on how painful mothering gets passed down from one generation to the next. Welcome to Safe Space, Ray Tibbetts. Thank you, Anne. So glad to have you here. I want to ask about the evolution. So you used to have this blog that was called Bad Mother Chronicles, a title which I just love. And then now it's called Good Enough, and I want to hear the story of that evolution. Well, um, Bad Mother Chronicles started when I was in graduate school. I did a study of, of mom zines as part of my critical component, and out of that evolved my own zine. I thought Maybe explain what a zine is. Um, a zine is basically an underground publication. It's um, anything photocopied, stapled, and folded and handed out to people or... You know, people charge, you know, nothing to $5, um, but it's sort of in the realm of self-publishing, although most zinesters don't publish just their own material. They publish other people's material as well. Okay. So you were doing a research project about mom zines, so mom-written zines. Yes. Okay. And um, I decided that I wanted to start my own. I was actually working with Nicole Chasen on her bad mother issue for Housefrau. And I decided that I had a lot more to say on that topic um, than just one story for her zine and decided out of that to create my own zine and decided I'd like to call it Bad Mother Chronicles. When you got that title, did you feel really psyched? I did. (laughs) (laughs) So many women secretly feeling like bad mothers and not knowing where they can talk about it. Right. And so how was it received when you when you came out with your first issue? You know, it, the first issue I feel like was my best issue because I had no idea what I was doing and I, I was completely honest and I really wrote from my experience. So some people were really upset by the things that I was willing to publish. You know, I, I was publishing various um, truths about mothering, um, some that people didn't really want to hear. And um, it's, it upsets some people. And what would be an example of a truth about mothering that people didn't want to hear? That um, that sometimes it's hard, uh, you know, more than hard. Sometimes, you know, people get dangerously close to hurting their kids, you know, out of frustration. And um, it's those types of things that you don't necessarily talk about on the playground when you're hanging out with other moms or you're trying to make friends. Um, but those moments, you know, when you have you know, three or four kids and they won't stop screaming. And, you know, if you could just put a sock in the mouth of the infant. Oh, right. You know? <laughs> That's right. Not that I'm advocating that as a solution for screaming children. Right. Of course not. But I think, in fact, the danger of acting on those things is so much greater if you can't talk about it. Right. If you have to silence it, it really does become more dangerous. Right. Right. And there's no, I mean, you just don't hear those stories or see that, you know, you might see it on Jerry Springer 
or some, you know, sort of, ta- you know, in some sort of tabloid format. But real mothers telling real stories about their real experience of parenting isn't something that you see in print. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's not something that we have access to. And um, the Bad Mother Chronicles w- was never intended to champion bad mothering. And I think that some people took it that way at first. You know, that the Bad Mother Chronicles was true confessions of beating your kids or something like that. And that, that's ne- that was never what it was intended to be. And, it, and in fact, it was never what it was about. So what was it intended to be? What was your hope? I wanted... I wanted to connect with other mothers who were having complicated experiences with their raising their kids. And I know that um, m- the context in which I'm parenting is informed largely by the context in which my mother parented me. And that's not to lay blame on my mother. She, you know, had, she parented in a very specific context. She, you know, she was a teen mom and she struggled. She was depressed. And I was parented in that environment. And that has informed the way that I parent my kids. And I struggle with that. And um, I wish that my experience had have been, as a child, had have been the June Cleaver or Happy Days experience, but it wasn't. And, you know, what do you do when you grow up coming out of that experience and you have your own kids, you know, and what feels normal to you is really not normal (laughs) at all, you know? Right. So if it's okay, I'd like to ask you just a little more specific so so I have a sense of what we're talking about. I know that it's almost a universal wish for moms to have something that they do, you know, differently or better for their kids. And were there things when you became a mother that you really wanted to do differently than your mom in a very specific way? Well, when I was 10 years old, I actually had a box in my bedroom closet. And in it, I kept notes that I wrote to myself about what I wasn't going to do when I had kids of my own. Oh, you started so (laughs) early. (laughs) And, you know, if my 10-year-old did that to me now, I'd be outraged. (laughs) And I would, you know, and I might laugh. But um, at the time, you know, I I wanted to, you know, talk to my kids and have a relationship with them. And I didn't want to scream at them. And I didn't want to, you know call them names and I you know I, I wanted I didn't want a parent like that yeah so these these were core values for you you wanted to really be able to talk to them and you didn't want to scream at them right and that was like you went into it thinking I'm not going to do that right right and then I'm guessing maybe you're an exception <laughs> <laughs> but like most mothers we have these incredible ideals, and then we're not able to really live up to them. Right. And how was that for you? It was devastating for me. I, I, um, I had such high standards, and when I first became a parent, you know, it's hard to admit because I don't like to think of myself as materialistic, but, um, you know, a lot of it was giving them material things that I never had as a child. And then the, the, it just kept growing in levels, you know. I, I was critical of that because that's really not how I like to see myself So um, I kept digging, you know, I started digging into that as a person and as a writer, trying to figure out what is going on here. And um, by the time I was pregnant with my third child, I had really maxed out on trying to meet these expectations that I had set for myself. And um, expectations of supplying material things or of trying to be this person who never yelled and always uh, talked things through, uh, you know, bottom line, you know, of trying to be this person who always you know, spoke kindly and never raised her voice. And, you know, I have never called my kids names, but, you know, I I was not at all being the parent that I wanted to be. And, and I was finding that um, 
you know, my mother hid behind novels and um, various other, she had lots of ways of checking out and not being available. And I was doing exactly the same thing. But instead of checking out and reading other people's novels, I was trying to write my own. But it, so it was the same thing. <laughs> mm. And um, and I couldn't get any writing done. And I had these kids and I wasn't, you know, I wasn't living up to what I wanted it to be. And did you judge yourself very harshly for that? I, you know, I condemned myself. I more than judged myself. I, I wanted to kill myself. I didn't feel that I, um, I really felt that my kids deserved um, some mother and it wasn't me. Like I was never going to be able to be the mother that I thought that they should have. So it's ironic, isn't it? What you're saying is that you loved your children so much that you wanted them to have this other supposed good mother that wasn't going to be you. <laughs> like you couldn't be good enough. You loved them so much that you wouldn't be good enough for them. Right. Right. Which of course exactly. is a mark of a, of a good and loving mother, but it, you couldn't, experience yourself that way right I had no I had no way to, to I had no way to gauge what good enough was um I had um I, I don't even like to use the word I don't really like to use the word bad when I describe my experience as a child because you know my my mother you know like I said parented in a very specific context and um I I have a lot of respect for that you know especially now that I've been a parent for 10 years but I, I had no way to know internally, you know, what was good and what was good enough and what was okay and what might be a little bad but not so bad. And Right. So you, it's like I'm hearing kind of two things. One is that you didn't really have a reference point. I had none. And then also you, I sense you're saying also that you didn't really trust yourself. No, I didn't trust myself at all. Yeah, which is a very, very difficult combination. Yes, and I sense, you know, you you so much wanted to do it differently, but then blamed yourself so harshly when you couldn't. Exactly. Yes, I think that becomes a tyranny for so many mothers. The way that they try to do it better, then they they hate the, you know, the part of them that's like their own mother, and it becomes terrible. Right. So there you are, you, you're feeling like you want to kill yourself. What helped you shift out of that, from that dark place that you got into? I, um... Well, there was no magic. I mean, there was no Hallmark ending. I Well, maybe a little bit of Hallmark ending. I ended up getting pregnant with my third child. And um, whatever I felt that I wanted to do to myself, I would never have done. I would never have done to my child. I felt that he deserved a shot at this crazy life. And I wasn't, you know, I wasn't going to stand in the way of that. So I slept, you know, the ultimate checkout when you're pregnant for the first three months, and, and then um, by the second trimester, I, I was stable. I was better, and I was committed, and I've been committed ever since. Sounds almost like a bear going into hibernation, like you kind of got through a very rough patch and you emerged, you say committed. That's quite a shift. Committed, I, I mean, not, you know, it wasn't, it was just the beginning. I mean, making that commitment, you know. It was sort of like waking up and saying, well, I'm here, and I have these two children already, and I have this other child coming, and... You know, did take you, one day at a time. Right. You know? Did you did you have help at the time? Was there what? Did you have a therapist or other mothers that you could be brutally honest with? Not so much, um, but that grew out of that commitment. You know, once I decided, you know what, I'm staying on the planet. You know, the help came. It, you know, mm. my husband was really supportive, um, and 
willing he he's been with me long enough that he knows that I'm a process person and I have to sort of go through whatever process I'm in and come out on the other side and it's really hard to watch and it's really hard to not jump in with all the solutions you know and he didn't do that and I'm really grateful because I know he's a um he's also a social worker you know I know there were many times when he you know, probably thought this woman needs some serious help. Mm-hmm. This is WMPG. My name is Dr. Anne, and my guest is Ray Tibbetts talking about how painful mothering gets passed down from one generation to the next. You know, even just just talking to you now, I sense your courage in naming things that are so hard. You know, people, we shy away from thoughts about not wanting to be alive or thoughts about wanting to put a stock in your child's mouth. I mean, these are things that people, I can see that some people may have felt so uncomfortable with your honesty and yet others I imagine felt so freed because there's so much shame. That's generally the experience and and more and more as I've done as I have com, you know committed to also doing the Bad Mother Chronicles um, it seems that more and more women are, are coming forward you know and at least sharing with me their own stories of early parenting um, and that matters you know. So I can imagine it's incredibly freeing. So few forums to do that. It, it is. It's it's gratifying to me to know that I'm not alone, and that's it. Period. End of. You know, that's it for me. You know, just to know that I'm not alone. But it's also makes me, it it makes me happy to have created a space in the universe. You know, for these stories to exist, because you're not going to open Good Housekeeping or Parenting Magazine and find them. I feel that way about this radio show, <laughs> trying to create the same space you are. <laughs> That's wonderful. Um, so I want to come back to this intergenerational pattern idea, because sure. I know it's something that you've thought so much about. So what I hear in your in your voice is that there's some way that I hear you sort of being very clear, you're not wanting to blame or judge your mother. Was there an earlier time when you really did? Sure. I mean, for most of my life, I, I've you know, existed in a relationship, not with my mother, but in a relationship of my blame of my mother. And it was really, um, you know, she died in in that relationship with me. And I'm sad about that. And a lot of the work that I've done, the Bad Mother Chronicles, I started six months after she died. And in a larger context, I see that um, in a funny sort of way as a tribute to her, because I don't feel that she ever had a way to tell her own stories and share her own pain and, you know, and really express herself. And I don't know if she would, knowing my mom. I mean, that that wasn't necessarily the type of person that she was, but it is, you know, for better or worse, the type of person that I am. And I I feel like um, the process that I've been in, both with writing this book and the Bad Mother Chronicles and the Good Enough blog is all a process of um, giving voice to, to the voiceless and the silenced and so there's a way, and it's almost like an act of compassion for her as much as for yourself. It is. I mean, it might be hard for some people to see, but it is It is my tribute. I, I can't, you know, on one hand, I've, I feel at times like I should just shut up, you know. <laughs> and um, what are the times that, what, what makes you feel that way? What are the things that silence you? My, my mother's voice in my head would be a chief silencer. But what I, do you imagine she's saying? <laughs> when you think that way, what do you imagine she's saying to you? Why do you want to tell all these people all of these things? Why do you want people to know these private things about you? You know, mm-hmm. all that shame <laughs> that mothers heap upon their children. Right. And I, I feel like um, I'm not doing it. 
necess- I not I don't share these stories of my life um, to um, embarrass anybody or you know or to embarrass myself. I I, I share them because um, that's what I do. I, I you know I'm committed to the truth. I, I mean that's something well, that's really that's the my one of my my core values. Well, part of what I'm sensing is that actually your wish is to reduce embarrassment. By telling the truth. Absolutely. Especially around issues in families. You know, a lot of it, it, you know, people don't talk about their real experiences and and people just go on to parent in the same shame that they were raised in. Right. So, okay. So, so obviously there was some real shift that happened. So you say, I lived in this relationship of blame for a long time. And then now, you know, you're, you're not sounding blaming to me. And how did that transition happen? Um, well, part of it is that my mother died. So, you know, she she didn't exist on the planet anymore for me to have this, you know, dysfunctional relationship with. And in order to reclaim her and to reclaim my experience and to create out of it something meaningful that didn't feel like just a list of complaints or poor me's or, you know, just whining. As tempting blah, blah, blah. as that is. As t- yeah, as tempting <laughs> as that is. I really had to do the work of seeing, of putting my mother in the context in which she lived and really, really opening my heart to the possibility that she really, that she really, really loved me. Mm. And that her desire for me wasn't different than my desire for my children. And um, life gets in the way. And she was a very young mother and she had some traumatic things happen to her as a teenager. She had um, a baby that was given up for adoption. You know, this was back in the 60s when women were just whisked away, you know, and their babies were put up for adoption. And, you know, that's a whole other area of, of unspoken shame that we don't talk about in our culture. Um, and she parented me out of that. I was born sort of on the heels of all of that. And, and How af- wounded she was at having lost a child. She was, and it really affected her ability to bond with me. And we sort of got off on the wrong foot. You know? I can imagine. How could that not be so? But what was interesting to me was that I feel that that affected my ability to bond with my first son because I had no model for that. I didn't, I had a baby. I had no, no idea what to do with him, you know, and I know that that's not an uncommon feeling for new moms. But I didn't have that um, mirroring that that happens. I know you've written recently about the way bonding happens with newborns. I wondered if you could say a little bit about that. Sure. Well, I didn't. Um, I didn't feel that I bonded with my son. And, and my first post as the Good Enough blogger last week was um, called. Actually, I don't remember the title, but the gist of it was that it's never too late to love your baby, and. Um, And I talk about, you know, our experiences of not bonding, you know, in the first several years of his life. And both of our attempts to fix that, I did EMDR therapy to fix that. I mean, I was tireless in my efforts to fix this bonding thing. You know, it's all, that's what everybody talks about these days. And then um, my son is 10 years old now and we were watching television and um, he sighed like an infant sighs. You know, that... (gasps) kind of Mm. sigh and and in that moment something happened in the time space continuum in my heart and I I really didn't know for sure if I was holding a baby or if I was holding a boy but my what I felt was just just an outpouring of love just that deep contented what I imagine is new mother love for my son and and I realized you know it's never too late it's never too late did you tell him um, I actually shared that story with him. And, 
he doesn't share my memories of those experiences, which is good. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Right, my imagination is that you were so hard on yourself about that, and he was probably having a very different experience, I'm guessing, but I don't know. Yeah, no, apparently he was having a very apparently. different experience. He's, apparently. His, I asked him, I said, um, do you think you've had a bad childhood? And I don't necessarily think that's an appropriate question to ask a 10-year-old. And he looked at me with horror, and he said, what do you mean? I haven't had a bad childhood. So it's like, we're good. <laughs> 10 years down, 10 more to go. Yeah, I think there's such a tyranny for new moms feeling like, this baby is put into their hands and they should feel this intense rush of the strongest love they've ever felt in their life, which they've read about. And then if they don't feel that way, which in my experience is true of many, many mothers, that they feel like they've already failed. Yeah. And that it and and that they really can't ever make it up, that they can't redeem that lack. Right. And it's it's so painful then to carry that because of course that sense of failure makes the bond harder. So it sort of becomes this vicious cycle. Right. Yeah, well, I hope new moms will read your blog. I hope so, too. (laughs) It's never too late. It's never too late. So you've said that, you know, when things get rough, that people often fall back to the way that they were parented. And I want to hear more from you about that. Like, you had this incredibly good intentions. And then in the heat of the moment, you know, tell me what your experience is. Well, and then in the heat of the moment, you know, like, you know, I have three boys and they're, you know, you know, one of them isn't dressed and one of them can't find his shoes and one of them is screaming, you know, shut up and all of these names at the other two. It's really hard not to fall back on screaming at the top of your lungs and saying things that you don't really want to say, you know, and I find I I work from home and I've worked from home, you know, the whole time that I've been a parent and that's an incredibly stressful way to, to work, you know, and, um, it's really easy. To, to default to, you know, screaming at them to get them to do what I want them to do. Because I'm usually on deadline. I usually have someplace else I need to go. And so much of my time, I'm not available to them because I'm also trying to work. And, um, yeah. Right. It's just, I can feel the stress of that. I can feel it in my own body. <laughs> just imagining being in that situation. So there you are, and you you end up yelling despite your best intentions. How have you learned to, you know, make peace with yourself for that or repair it with them? I and mean, what, what's, what's been helpful to you in that? Well, I'm still in process on that one. But I do, I do talk to them and, and they will say to me, you know, were you really angry or do you really hate us? You know, they're really able to come to me and talk to me about whatever was going on with me. And that wasn't experience, my experience of my own mother, like. I could never have asked those questions. And then, you know, we're able to have a conversation and it's not necessarily textbook and it's not necessarily ideal. And sometimes I say, yes, I was really angry at you because you did X, Y, and Z. Right. But I feel like they're able to hear that without feeling blamed. You know, it's not, it's not, I, I try not to blame them. You know, I try to own the fact that I'm angry because I have four deadlines, you know, and I'm working from home and your brother just, you know, ate the dog food and, (laughs) you know, and why won't, why didn't you put your shoes on half an hour ago? You're 10 minutes late for golf, you know. Right. So what part of what I'm hearing, because you told me there were two things you really, really wanted to do differently from your mother. And one was that you could talk, they could talk to you. So that even though, yes, you do yell sometimes, it does sound like, in fact, they can talk to you about it. 
they can talk to me. I wish we could have we I wish we could have more conversations that didn't involve processing mom's feelings. Oh, I see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is WMPG. My name is Dr. Ann and this is Safe Space. I'm talking to Ray Tibbetts about bad mother anxiety and in particular how it gets handed down from one generation to the next. Um so I want to shift gears now a little bit and talk about um, some of the other kind of mom rules that people have. You you wrote in one of your zines, which I got a chance to read, that you thought that being a good mother would be like having a midwife, having extended breastfeeding, cloth diapering, co-sleeping, and sling wearing, you know, all <laughs> the ultimate Dr. Sears attachment parenting rules. But that in fact, being a good mother was not found in any of those things. And I'd love to hear how you came to that, because I think so many people think, okay, well, at least if I do those things, you know, I can feel like I'm doing something right. Right. And when I talked about the materialism earlier, I mean, that was sort of the mode that my materialism took. Like if I had the sling and the co-sleeper and the midwife, you know, if I bought these things and had them, I would be a good mother. But... um I struggled with it until my, my had, I was pregnant with my third child, and I had a planned home birth, and I ended up transferring to the hospital after 30 hours, and it was the best thing that I ever did, and I've never looked back. I, I walked in after 30 hours. The hospital was great. They are like, you know, what drugs do you want? <laughs> How can we make you comfortable? They handed me my, my healthy baby. You know, it was really, really empowering, and, and from that moment on, I just really looked at all of the choices that I made with different eyes. Like, it, is this really going to work for me? You know, it's laboring for 30 hours in your house or my, you know, or my house really making me feel good. You know, is this really promoting good mothering in my life? And in fact, and you know, that is an example of something that didn't work for me. That's a great example. Cause I think so often, you know, as much as I'm a fan of much of attachment parenting, it's also the highest maintenance, highest cost to the mother way to parent. It, and a lot of mothers get very unhappy it, because they're trying yeah. to do it that way and they have nothing for themselves. And one of the biggest healing things in sort of reconciling with my own mother, you know, even though she has died, was realizing, you know, my mother read novels, worked full time, you know, ignored us <laughs> for the most part. And I'm fine. You know, basically, I, I'm a caring, loving human being. I'm concerned about the environment, like I'm all of these positive things. And I, you know, wasn't carried around in a sling until I was three or nursed until I was four, you know, like all of these, I mean, take it out to the most extreme attachment parenting ideal, you know, and, and I'm fine. And, you know, and just about everyone in my generation is really fine. You know, we're sort of the kids of the 70s, me generation, you know, the summer of love, parents, you, you know. All right, I think what you just said feels really at the heart of it. You know, in this series, as I'm talking about this subject with so many people, that realization that I'm fine as a mother, yes, despite all the stuff that happened to me, I'm actually fine, feels like this pivotal turning point. Because once you realize that, it's like, then I actually probably can mother from a fine place. Yes, I'm going to make mistakes, but I'm not so damaged that I'm damaging them. Right. It's a huge shift. It's a huge shift. And also that even if I fall off the mark and I don't meet my highest expectations, probably my kids are going to be fine too. You know, right. If I'm not perfect, you know, if, if I am really into a novel that I'm reading and I want to sit there and read it and not make toast, they're probably going to be okay. So at the end of the day, you know, 
how will you know that your mothering has been a different than you know how how will you know that it's been what you hoped for what what are what is your wish when they come back to me and they say I have some questions about my life and I want to talk to you and whether they want to talk to me about their joy or their sorrow or their hurts or their anger or whatever may have affected them in their time in my care I I want them if they're able to come back to me and, and initiate that conversation I'm willing to be open to it you know, my joke for a long time was, you know, yeah, I'll see you in 20 years on the therapist couch, you know, like that was, you know, if I, if I didn't, you know, quite hit the mark, then I was willing to show up for them. So you're willing to show up, take responsibility. Not and help be, them mm, however I can. Right. Yeah. And not be defensive. Right. Right. And, and so, be honest, you know, really honest about my experience of mothering so that they know what's mine and what was my work in this life and that they can be clear about what's theirs. So they don't take it on. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I think about that in terms of your writing. So you're putting some of the stuff out. Your kids will have the opportunity to read it. And is that what gives you the courage to be so honest in a way that they will see, trusting that, in fact, that will spare them? Absolutely. That's wonderful. We are going to have to stop, Ray. Please tell me how people who can read your stuff, how can they access your stuff on the web? What's your, what's your address? So to read the Good Enough blog... People can go to www.raisingmaine.com. There are lots of great blogs there. My blog is called Good Enough. Great. And how about um, The Wife of Bath? The Wife of Bath's website is currently under construction. However, I can be reached at editor at wifeofbath.net. Wonderful, Ray. Thank you so much for being my guest Thank at Safe you, Space. My thanks tonight to Goober for mixing the sound and Maurice Leonard for the music. If you have a request or a suggestion for a future topic, please email me at drannwmpg at gmail.com. That's dr.annewmpg at gmail.com. My guest next week will be Catherine Landon Malone speaking about attachment, parenting, and fear. Coming up next is Allison with Money Talks.